Welcome to episode 39 of Mancy, a podcast about magic and the fucked up shit people did with it. Uh, in each set of episodes, we cover a different type of mancy or method of magic. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. With me is my co-host, L. I'm L. Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. In part one of our coverage of cybermancy, we discussed predictive analytics and AI. We discussed how AI has seen increased use as a tool for fascism and horror. Uh, we brought up the terrifying thought experiment, Roko's Basilisk, and the danger of AI advancement beyond our ability to control it. Computers have been predicting the future and performing divination for us for decades now, and it's very much ingrained in our lives, and they get better and better at it all the time. Indeed, cybermancy and predictive analytics are the future of divination as we know it. More than any other time in our history, seeing into the future is within our grasp. Choo-choo. That's our train that goes by in our new studio. Uh, What do you think, Elle? Does AI threaten your job? Does it threaten your your field? No. No? Mm -mm. Uh, Why why would you say it does not? Um, Because you still need people to interpret what the AI spits out. You can do whatever you want. Or, I mean, like, this information, right? And people... I don't think have a way to truly get computers to do what humans do. I just don't think it can happen. I just don't. I also don't feel like AI in general, I don't know. It's one of those things. I said this in the last episode. It's not something I give a lot of thought because I'm not, I don't know why I'm not concerned about it, but I'm not. Um, I think it's scary, but I don't think it's one of those things that, um, yeah, people go to computers for things, but people know that computers can't give them spiritual advice. And I don't think that that's something that computers will ever be able to do better than humans can. Hmm. I just don't think that's the thing. Okay. Does it have a soul? What is my purpose? You no. pass butter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what is that from? It's from Rick and Morty. <laughs> oh, it's, what? <laughs> um, yeah, no, computers won't have souls. And that's the thing. Um. Computers won't have souls, but have you seen uh, movies that feature a sad robot like Jeppy? <laughs> Does Jeppy have soul? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, no. Well, in this episode, uh, we're going to discuss the weird, the esoteric, the spooky, and the absurd things that can be found on the internet and things that AI does that are just bonkers. Uh, Again, cybermancy is one of those topics that is so huge, you could probably do a whole podcast on just that. Likely, we'll do other forms of cybermancy on the show, and we might even follow up episodes looking at specific kinds of cybermancy. Uh, In fact, we did cybermancy in the automatic writing episode. We used predictive text to perform automatic writing, Mm -hmm. if you recall one of our earliest episodes. Part two here of Cybermancy is going to be a little different than the last episode. Uh, we're, go- we're going to do a few experiments with AI for part of the reading and discuss some bizarre websites I found. Uh, we're also going to discuss how the internet has created new kinds of magic, brought the oldest kinds of magic to new heights, and restructured the world. So get ready for part two of Cybermancy, Divination by Computer and Algorithm. So I want to pick up where we left off. We were talking about a website called AIWeirdness.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
an AI that was fed headlines from 2020 to determine what headlines would be in the future. Uh, the AI came up with some ridiculous headsli- headlines about slingshot-wielding polar bears and 10-foot-tall penguins <laughs> and killer raccoons in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, which, I mean, rabies. So Desert I mean... mystery? What's this rock that looks like a plane ticket? That's our ticket out of here. Uh, the person who did this research is a scientist uh, and researcher named uh, Janelle Shane in the field of computer science. Uh, she is known for being an AI humorist, uh, doing different experiments with neural networks and sharing the hilarious results. Her intent appears to be engaging people with AI in fun and exciting ways so that we can all learn more about it and understand it better. She's run several experiments to see what an AI neural network would come up with given specific data sets. Uh, I would like to point out that she has a book called You Look Like a Thing and I Love You, (laughs) which is about these hilarious experiments and the exciting and dangerous potential of AI. I picked up a copy for myself because I've just fallen in love with this blog for AIweirdness.com. It is, you could spend hours enjoying this blog. Uh, And we're going to go over some of the things she's done there. Okay, so one experiment she did was uh, to attempt to teach an AI jokes. Okay. She had a data set of over 200,000 jokes. She removed ones that she thought might be too complex in format for the AI, and she removed any jokes that might contain offensive keywords, as we discussed before, garbage in, garbage out, racism Mm -hmm. in, racism out. Uh, So, you know, so that it wouldn't be the racist comedian of computers. Yeah. Uh, Elle, would you like to hear some of these jokes the AI came up with? Absolutely. What did the new ants say after a dog? What? It was a pirate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure if this AI is a comedic genius or an idiot. Um, yeah. So... What do you call a cat does it take to screw in a light bulb? Okay. They could worry the banana. Okay, listen. Everyone on this podcast, all my friends and family, when I die and I am coming back to you from a medium, my my code phrase is... Will you say the punchline again? They could worry the banana. That is my, that is my code phrase. That's your Harry Houdini code they phrase? They could worry... The banana? Yeah. Uh, here's another one. What do you call a pastor cross the road? What? He take the chicken. He do. He do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, this, this, you're a tea person. I'm a tea right person, now. yeah. You like tea. Oh, this tea. is a tea joke, a joke about tea from this AI. Say tea again. Tea. Thank you. What do you call a farts of tea? What? He was calling the game of the dry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is is one of those moments that are like, those are certainly all words. (laughs) Sense of humor too advanced for our puny We don't even get it. Yeah. We we just know that it's humor. (laughs) I mean, we know, but we don't know. I sure hope Rocco's basilisk learns how to tell jokes. So, so on her blog, I found uh, an AI program that she referred to as Skynit <laughs> that analyzed thousands oh of knitting patterns <laughs> <laughs> so that it can come up with its own designs. And they're abstract. 
One of the my favorite one was dubbed by the AI because the AI named them as well. Tiny baby whale Soto. <laughs> and he's just like a little goober man. Like yeah. he looks like a little baby goober man. <laughs> he has a slender gray body, round head, little nose, one C-shaped arm, and one S-shaped tentacle. I will He looks like an eldritch creature, but he's also very cute. I will put this in the photo dump for this episode so y'all can find it and see what these uh, knitting patterns are. So, I mean, Janelle notes that this might be the first ever computer-generated code to be executed by human artists because she sent these knitting patterns to actual knitters to have them try to knit the patterns. Did they? Did it work? Would you like to see a picture? I, I want to know of tiny baby whale Soto. Yeah. All right. Let me turn my laptop around so that you can see him. <laughs> That's my son. That's my little baby son. <laughs> Fucking. Oh my god! And they have him positioned with his own knitting needle. <laughs> <laughs> he's straight. He looks like some sort of like uh, horrifying. Spell tool. Yeah, looks, he looks. He looks like a, a voodoo doll, but worse. Uh, <laughs> the thing that's really, I think, alarming is that you can tell this is a very talented knitter. Like, um, their rows and everything look really nice, but you just know that the pattern is fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so good. Uh, so I have a friend whose last name is Soto. So and, I know, that's what I was thinking and, of. And they're about to have a kid. So I'm like, uh, what if you named your kid Tiny Baby Whale? I think that that's just what we call the kid. Yeah, tiny baby whale Soto. Tiny baby whale Soto. <laughs> uh, very, he's almost like a finger puppet, but for somebody with really long fingers, like a he finger puppet like, salad fingers would wear. No, you know what he looks like? Um, Boo's costume in Monsters, Inc., but gray. Oh, that was a motorcycle. Vroom. Vroom. Vroom, vroom. Um, yeah, that's what it looks like, or it looks like... Horrible. It looks like something that you accidentally make when you're trying to like make a sock for the first time and you don't know how to crochet or knit. <laughs> That's what it looks like. It was like, well, I tried. And like you would give it to your mom and she'd be like, wow. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. Yeah. So um, that made me curious. How would my art, my poetry, fed into an AI? Like, what would the AI do with that? Uh, Kill itself. So I fed an AI one of my that poems. That was a joke because they're sad. That's <laughs> yeah, not they're, because they're, of them. They're just sad they're, poems. They're sad poems, they're, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I fed one of my poems to an AI to generate an Im- image. First, I'll read the poem. And then, L, would you like to uh, interpret the image, uh, the abstract image that AI yeah. generated? Cool. Uh, and These are wild. And this Some poem is uh, a... Uh, reference to an internet urban legend that we're going to talk about later uh, in the extra spell. Uh, The poem is called Polybius, based on a video game urban legend. And that urban legend will be the subject of our extra spell, brought to you by the Lord of Misrule, premiering at the 2021 Great Salt Lake Fringe Festival. All right. Ready for a poem? Mm -hmm. Okay. Polybius. There is heroic 8-bit music. Text begins scrolling down the screen like a Star War in reverse. 
In the dystopian future of 1981, Men in Black put a cursed arcade cabinet here as part of the MKUltra mind control experiments. Everyone who has played this game has committed suicide. And how can someone not play with that kind of prize on the line? Okay, put a quarter in. Okay, okay, now press the single-player button. Psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan appears on screen, giving relationship advice. You ought not look for abstractions, kid. You aren't ever going to find them. As he talks, my body becomes porous like a beehive. See? Look at that. I warned you, says Lacan. I have no idea how to navigate this with a joystick. The Konami code might work. And it does. When entered, Lacan winks and says, Love is just a thing folks made up because they can't control their own goddamn entropy, followed by a positive-sounding chime. Then, by giving Lacan finger guns, he gets filled with holes, and the joystick becomes a shotgun barrel that narrates the old man in the sea. The soundtrack changes to an 8-bit rendition of Nirvana's Nevermind. I think... I think maybe there has always been a finite amount of love in the world. And we ran out a long time ago. That's what I've been saying, screams bloody Lacan in bold text in the tone of a meteorologist. All the playable characters in the game realize they never really loved anything that did not simply distract them from the horror of everything else. And now, the first boss fight. It's Camus, pushing a boulder up a hill. The boulder rolls back down, and he says suicide is only a moment, like it's a spell or a curse, and instantly, nothing matters. It doesn't matter that you agree to go on a picnic on Friday. It doesn't matter that you have a cat sitting in a windowsill in an empty house. It doesn't matter that Kingdom Hearts 3 is going to come out after seven years of waiting. It doesn't matter that it doesn't matter because there is only you and the moment in a single quick time event and the only button is the trigger on the shotgun and the boss fight is over. Camus grips the boulder again and says, I knew you could do it, but I didn't. I didn't. I'm full of holes. Except those holes are full of bees now. Each one says, I love you. Don't go. You ain't empty. No more now. Fuck the single player button. Fuck Lacan. Fuck the boulder. Fuck any words that don't rhyme with stay. And the screen reads, game over. But it isn't. It isn't. All right, Elle, are you ready to see how the AI felt about my poem? <laughs> I am. <laughs> about uh, not killing not yourself. killing myself. <laughs> are you ready to interpret this image? I am. Okay. We will also post this image in the photo dump. Yeah, it's a uh, it's bizarre. I don't even know what the fuck is going on in this image. But I suppose uh, a lot of people, a lot of you might be like, I don't know what the fuck was going on in your poem. Uh, so garbage in, garbage out. Here we go. <laughs> what, what, what do you see? Um, it looks like a picture of maybe if you were standing out. Um, so weird it looks um it looks like a, a it looks like a street i would stand on in chicago like if you like walked out so there's this one area of chicago that's called wicker park and it's the there's six um streets that intersect at the same time and if you stand on it the road 
it, everything just looks distorted and it just is like so many people in all these cars and that's straight up what it looks like is it just looks like um kind of it has these white images that look like they might have been people or they might be like ghosts or things that have been double exposed um there's this kind of red building off to the side that looks like it might be the front of a diner with like a white door in front of it and then behind it is basically um like what would be a train and um buildings with uh windows all the way up yeah so weird i mean the picture in some weird way it reflects the tone of the poem yeah the poem is very like surrealistic I mean, it is surrealistic, but it also has that, like, ennui, right? And Mm -hmm. this is, I mean, maybe it's just a thing because of my experiences with being in Chicago, and that's what it's reminding me of. But it just is, like, this, like, feeling of, like, ha-ha, I think I'm gonna maybe make it today. (laughs) Like, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it fits. If you put the two of them next to each other in a modern art exhibit i feel like um people would look at it for a long time and think about things yeah <laughs> uh that uh, maybe that's a poetry project for the future is we try that would to be super cool ai to interpret poems the what i'm looking at is it looks like almost like an overpass and there are like people huddled under this overpass trying to survive uh just like homeless there's these blobs and the blobs yeah. almost look like people but they're not quite people um, which, like, is how people treat homeless people. But that's, I mean, in Chicago specifically, um, at that intersection, that's the thing. Like, that's the hallmark. There's so many homeless people, and they all just kind of exist and live their lives next to other people who are really rich and going to work and cars. And, yeah, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. So uh, the poem gave a bit of exposition about Polybius. Um, I mean, it's the title of the poem and also, like, uh, background on the urban legend. But I'll give you the whole legend. Uh, the origin of it started, it's suspected to have started in the 2000s. Part of the resurgence, I think, had to do with discussions around the MK Ultra mind control experiments that the CIA did in, like, the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, this was a real thing. That one, not an urban legend. That Not a conspiracy theory. That one, real. They de- declassified documents detailing all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2001, more documents about it were declassified. And there were big discussions in 2000, 2001 about getting these documents declassified. Uh, the legend has it that part of these mind cro- control experiments had the CIA placing a special arcade cabinet in select arcades in Portland. There were rumors of people seeing men in black installing a game called Polybius around 1981. The game was rumored to be a dark psychology experiment, and playing the game was said to cause psychoactive effects. Mm-hmm. And I mean... We played some. I played some pretty trippy games in VR, like Tetris Effects. Yeah, that makes you feel things just because of the stimulus. Yeah, it's, it is a lot of stimulus. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Uh, one telling of the legend says that the Men in Black would put LSD on the joystick to like enhance the effect. Mm. Uh, another that it played a mind control sound that was originally created by the Nazis. Another, that the lights mesmerized and hypnotized you, or some combination of all three of those. Everyone who played the game was said to have suffered some kind of psychological damage. Amnesia, unexplained bouts of anxiety, insomnia, night terrors, and just full-blown psychosis and hallucinations. 
Uh, it's also rumored that players committed suicide after playing or were abducted by these men in black. Every so often, the men in black would return to the arcade to write down the high scores on the game, and then they would spirit away those who scored particularly well. Mm. While Polybius has not been proven to exist, there are several eyewitness accounts claiming that men in black suits would sometimes visit arcades and write down high scores and take notes. Uh, These may have later evolved into the Polybius urban legend. This is supported by news from Portland in 1981, where two kids got ill at the same arcade the same day. Uh, One kid developed a crippling migraine while playing Tempest, and another collapsed from exhaustion after playing Asteroids for 28 straight hours in an attempt to beat a world record. Mm. There are also records of the FBI raiding arcades in Portland because the owners were suspected of using the machines in an illegal gambling-like ring. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that the arcade was just a front for the illegal gambling ring. Uh, It's quite possible that these events coalesced to create the Polybius legend. Hmm. What do you think, Kel? Do you think that there were men in black doing mind control experiments with video games? Honestly, the men in black theory and, like, what do you classify them as, like, aliens, cryptids, some combination? Yeah, I would say that they are... um, I wouldn't say that they're aliens. I I wouldn't. I don't. Maybe a cryptid. Well, do you? Yeah, you know what the Men in Black are, and like what people say about. I, them. I would say an urban myth. Yeah, I just I don't uh, like the Men in Black is one of those things, and I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is real. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like you have all this crazy weird stuff the CIA did. So what I think is like the Men in Black that people who listen to a bunch of like spooky podcasts, which probably if you're listening to this podcast, you're one of those people. We're those people, but people like talk about the Men in Black. Like um, last podcast has done an episode on them. Um, Bedtime Stories has, Let's Get Haunted has talked about them before. And they are not the men in black, like, from the movie. No. (laughs) But that's, I think, like, the men in black from the movie and that being part of the government, that would be real. Like, that would be real to me, the CIA doing it. But, like, the whatever weird interdimensional beings that the men in black supposedly are with their red lips and white alabaster faces, I don't believe in that. Mm. So, but I don't know. I, like... People do weird shit with games, and I think early on, I don't know. There I don't was, know that we had a lot I of mean, technology, There right? was also, like, a lot of moral panics happening in the 80s around yeah. gaming in general. I mean, Dungeons, well, in the Cold War yeah, and, Dungeons and Dragons was, like, drawn into the Satanic Panic, uh, yeah. as well as a lot of other video games were included in the Satanic Panic. Uh, parents were terrified of games like Mortal Kombat. Uh, being too violent and that the mm-hmm. games were programming kids' brains. Yeah. Um, and I mean, people still think that. So today. yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that. I think that necessarily. I mean, that's probably not true. It's probably just you know. Uh, Ernest Klein, writer of Ready yeah. Player One mm-hmm. and uh, former slam poet, um, mm-hmm. has a book called Armada that explores the Polybius myth uh, and the Men in Black recording high scores thing and kidnapping kids. To explain that uh, these kids are uh, fighting aliens. 
Like they needed, oh. the aliens were invading and they needed to keep it quiet. So they used video games to recruit fighter pilots. I'd probably be into that. It's, it's that book. Yeah. It's an all right. I think Ready Player One is a little bit better and Ready Player One does have its its issues, but. I was going to say it's better and he falls in love with a girl he's never met in real life and he's kissed her on the internet one time and he's like, I love you. And she's like, you don't even know me. And he's like, how fucking dare you say I don't know you? Like you really think, <laughs> anyway, I've got fucking problems. Like the whole way through the book, I literally was like oh kill me this is so bad but it's actually like pretty good just the way that the women characters are written is bad yeah the best part of ready player one and armada as well is the like nerd history and nerd lore yeah which i'm i'm into it yeah like that's super cool ready player one is a cool novel just don't read it for representation of females in any positive light really yeah um others argue that uh the rumor of polybius started earlier than 2000 I think 2001 is more likely because of the renewed interest in MKUltra uh, and the very, very real fucked up mind control experiments mm-hmm. our government actually did do. Yeah. Uh, that's a topic for another episode, though. Uh, I it, So Polybius might have been one of the earliest examples of a creepypasta, which, if you're not hip with the kids, <laughs> uh, is a scary story or urban legend seemingly organically created by and spread by the Internet. Creepypasta.com serves as a sort of catalog for them, as well as an open source writing platform for them. Although the earliest creepypastas were often written by anonymous authors, and you were always in doubt if they were real or not. Mm-hmm. That's what made a good creepypasta. It's like yeah, you, if you never you knew. You never knew it was real. Right. And that brings us out of the extra spell brought to you by the Lord of Misrule, an irreverent charity play where the audience is in control of the actors. The more you donate to the local homeless shelter, the more absurd actions the actors have to take. It's going to be featured at the 2021 Great Salt Lake Fringe Festival on August 5th to August 8th. If you're not in Salt Lake, the script will be available at rjwalkerpoet.com for purchase and licensing. If you're using the play for like a good cause, licensing it will be free. And if you liked my poem, uh, it's featured in The Ghost Was Always the Machine, which is also available for purchase at rjwalkerpoet.com. Now, we're going to talk about creepy pastas, because the more the internet changes things, the more they stay the same. (laughs) Uh, Humans are storytellers by nature, and we have been telling each other scary stories since the dawn of communication. They are critically important to our existence Mm -hmm. uh, because this is how we pass on uh, knowledge Mm -hmm. uh, is through storytelling, and that's why we try to turn everything into a narrative. Um, We were built that way. Um, And I I love me a good campfire story. Yeah. Uh, And what is a creepypasta but the information ages campfire story? It's folklore on crack cocaine skittering along your ceiling like the look-see. And that was a reference for you uh, Crypt TV fans (laughs) out there. I know we're a niche fan base, but uh, that was for you. Uh, In the earliest days of creepypasta, they weren't yet called creepypastas. It was the days of chain emails and chain texts that you would get, usually with the instruction to send this to 10 people or else the monster will get you or Jesus will be sad or like whatever. (laughs) Um, Facebook basically took this and like streamlined it. 
Um, but even in the earlier days of Facebook and MySpace, cre- the creepypastas were there just floating around. In fact, that's where they got their name, as the stories were typically copied and pasted to be shared, obscuring the original author and encouraging modifications of the story to make it grow and feel more organic. Mm-hmm. Creepypasta is our new chthonic mythology. Like if superheroes are our modern mythology, creepypastas are our chthonic mythology, the dark mythology, the folklore, the monsters, the cryptids, Mm. uh, a new language of monsters and fear to replace the cautionary tales of bedtime stories and folklore and or just sometimes to update them. Uh, While the history is unknown and obscured, Ted the Carver is often attributed as one of the first creepypastas along with the Polybius legend and the Bunny Man. Earlier creepypastas featured a ritual. Uh, They were written in first person uh, and they would originate on message boards like 4chan and then would get copied and pasted from there. Uh, The copy slash paste underwent a sort of folk etymology. Mm -hmm. Uh, to merge the terms and create a new language to explain this new organic phenomena. Folk etymology is super important right now in the information age because it is the organic smashing of words together to create new language for new things that we don't yet have the words for yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So creepypasta being a form of folk etymology. Thus, the term creepypasta. The first creepypastas also came from existing urban legend rumor mills that had been around for decades. Mm -hmm. The Bunny Man, for example, had been spreading throughout Virginia since the 70s. And the internet and creepypasta allowed it to break out of, like, the Virginia area as an urban legend. Mm. Do you want to hear the Bunny Man? I do. You do? I do. Okay, so it goes something like this. Uh, In October 1970, a couple had parked their car to visit their uncle across the street. They noticed something moving outside the rear window. And then, the front passenger window was violently smashed. They heard screaming, uh, that like loud screaming, that they were on private property and they needed to leave or die. Mm. Standing outside the car was a man in a bunny suit. They quickly sped off and later discovered a discarded hatchet on the floor of their vehicle that was used to smash the window. (gasps) Ten days later, a truck driver noticed a strange man in front of an unfinished house near the area where the last incident occurred. He noted a man in a gray and white bunny suit using an axe to chop down fence posts. The bunny man began walking toward the truck driver with the axe, threatening him with violence if he didn't leave. Mm. And uh, some of the reports of the story say that, you know, the the husband, or the, the, the man saw a dude in a bunny suit. The woman saw a dude in a KKK outfit. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, huh. But the truck driver says that it was a bunny suit. Okay. And so thus the legend of the bunny man. And so he became a sort of folk character that could be incorporated into other stories and spread around the internet. There are about 54 different versions of the story. And it had been around since the 70s, but regained momentum in the 2000s as creepypastas began to take off. But one specific creepypasta will forever live in infamy. I'm sure you've heard of it. The story of Slenderman. Mm-hmm. 
In 2009, a creepypasta had made the rounds on a message board called Something Awful. The message board was having a Photoshop contest where people were challenged to submit spooky photos. A user named Victor Surge began posting photos of a black and white man in a suit. The man is tall, wiry, has spindly fingers, and a featureless face. He accompanies his photos, like the the photos that Victor Surge posted, were accompanied by text that had fake citations. Um, we, you know, here's here's one of them. We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them, but it's persistent. Silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. 1983, photographer unknown, presumed dead. Mm. One of the recovered photographs from Sterling City Library Blaze, notable for being taken uh, the day which 14 children vanished, and for what is now referred to as the Slender Man. Deformities cited as film defects by officials. Fire at library occurred one week later. Actual photograph confiscated as evidence. 1986. Photographer Mary Thomas missing since June 13th, 1986. So, there were the photos, right? Mm-hmm. But then you had the accompanying text. And that takes it to another level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The added text turned Slenderman into a kind of fiction, a fictional character that people could write about. And other users began growing that fiction from there because this is how folklore works. There is a spark of an idea and that spreads into a wildfire as more and more people create narratives in their minds. The early stories featured Slenderman targeting children, like a cross between the boogeyman and the men in black who kidnapped children in the Polybius story. Mm -hmm. They were compared to the fairy stories of Ireland. Like folklorists are like, you know what these sound like? The fairy stories they had in Ireland, which feature children like being taken by creatures from the Fae uh, or marking children for capture, dragging them into the mist. Several stories featured Lovecraftian elements where Slenderman would drive teenagers insane, making them murderous or putting them under mind control. It is said that investigating Slenderman will draw his attention to you. And that's a really common feature in folklore. Speaking a creature's name or acknowledging it or knowing it draws it to you. Yeah, we have words we don't say in our house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we've got words we don't say. Um, Slender Man. So I watched the documentary Mm -hmm. about the thing about what we're talking about. Yeah, the one on HBO. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Slender Man is one of those things that I'm genuinely afraid of. It just feels... Bad. It just feels bad. It feels scary. Uh, well, it's got, you know, all of the hallmarks of, like, horror folklore. Like, every hallmark of horror folklore is present, and it's always growing and always changing. And I think that's the scariest thing well, about Slender Man. Well, and Slender Man, I think, the thing that I think is truly disturbing about it, and last podcast talked about this, about how Slender Man seemingly just kind of came out of collective unconsciousness. And, yes, it appeared originally there, but then the stories and everything, it seemed like people were inventing the same story about the same creature without it with it being totally invented by them and therefore is part of the collective unconsciousness which means it somehow exists somewhere in something that humans have access to well that's creepy yeah i mean we see that in tracking folklore traditions from around the world like bigfoot isn't specific to one area bigfoot is everywhere right and it's because we all have these sort of like shared animal things like ingrained in us this sort of collective unconsciousness uh and so slender man in that way like i said 
it's folklore on crack cocaine. Uh, these internet yeah, creepy well, pastas. Yeah, and that's the thing is like I think that when folklore was originally you know, before internet as like part of a societal and community thing. Um, they were treated as like things that we use to teach ethics and morals and different, different things or, like that. Or just a way to scare children to from fuck, wandering yeah, into the tall grass and dying from snake this bites. 1000% what my family did. So I have like, um, it's not a minor. I have an obsession with Bigfoot. I just love Bigfoot. Anything that has Bigfoot, I fucking need it. I love Bigfoot. And it's because when I was young, my grandfather would tell me scary stories about Bigfoot and would say that he he was like living in the shack that we had on our cabin's property. And I do I like to be outside at night, RJ? No. Is that yeah, you see me be like, it's not funny. I'm fucking afraid. Leave me alone. Like <laughs> literally, RJ will try to just freak me out. And I'm like, listen, not funny right now. I am scared. <laughs> so I mean, I guess that it worked, but when you think about things with like Slender Man, there's not really an acceleration stop right like there isn't a way for like parents or community members or tribal leaders to be like and that's uh, enough fun has been had no more and there's always fucking psychotic people out there who just want to push it further than it needs to there are no more lore keepers yeah there aren't people that that and that's the thing is like with so much of magic and um spirituality is like that's why i think that computers will never be able to replace the human element because Computers don't have that sense of ethics. They don't have a soul. Mm-hmm. So what made Slender Man so special was just how collaborative the stories were and how quickly they grew. They grew and changed organically, growing into as much a mythology as, as modern folklore. In fact, several folklorists have studied the phenomenon intensely, as it is the clearest, most explosive example of modern folklore that has emerged from the internet. And because it's on the internet, there is a paper trail that folklorists can track. Mm -hmm. So it taught us a lot of about what folklore even is in the first place and how it comes about. Mm -hmm. So it was really useful for folklorists. Unfortunately, there is a certain danger to stories. They can grow beyond our control, become wild, burn like fire, and do irreversible damage. In 2014, there was real-life violence connected to Slender Man. The whole thing just drew Slender Man into the attention of the mainstream media, and that caused an even bigger explosion from there. Mm-hmm. Two 12-year-old girls held down one of their classmates and stabbed them 19 times. After they left the scene, the victim crawled to a nearby road where a cyclist found them. The victim survived their murder attempt. The girls were caught by the authorities and, when questioned, they said they committed the stabbing as a kind of sacrifice ritual to mm -hmm, Slender Man. Because they were so afraid of him. Doing so would make them proxies for him and would protect their families from attacks by Slender Man. One of the girls claimed Slender Man could teleport and read minds. Both of the girls were diagnosed with severe mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. One was diagnosed with early-onset schizophrenia. While uh, people who have schizophrenia are typically not violent. And I want to make that very clear. Yeah, it's, this is That's, not a typical thing. And, and I find that this is one – there are problems with other podcasts that have talked about this. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the problems that I find is like, oh, yeah, she's a violent schizophrenic, but – Schizophrenics aren't violent. Uh, She's an 11-year-old little girl that probably yeah. has a lot of other things that are influencing and impacting it. That, like, does her schizophrenia have something to do with it? Yes, because she probably was, like, heavily impacted by the thought of this intangible monster haunting her all the time. Right. You know? And when you have um, other things that are in 
influencing you and talking to you, how would you not, you know, have enough anxiety about a thing to believe that it is one of them? Yeah, and which is different than being violent because she's schizophrenic. Yeah, and the the nature of the the disorder just means you know, uh, becoming more out of touch with reality. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean violence. Uh, she genuinely believed that. Uh, she would go live at Slender Man's mansion and that he would attack her family if she didn't kill her friend. The other attacker was diagnosed with a more specific delusion disorder and schizotypty. That's what it is. It looks like schizophrenia, but yeah, Yeah. schizotypty. Essentially a diminished ability to distinguish reality from fiction. Mm. Um, So... These girls, clearly severely mentally ill and making each other worse, they created a feedback spiral with each other. Something I have seen for myself, like b- hosting the the open mic at the coffee shop. That coffee shop attracts a lot of people who are rejected from society, who are mentally ill, who are mm-hmm. homeless. And sometimes they form groups together, and that's great. But sometimes their mental illnesses are not compatible and they create this sort of feedback spiral where they feed Mm -hmm. into each other's delusions. And that's what was happening here. Um, So they they fall into the other's delusional trappings, reinforcing them for each other, and the spiral just goes down. Uh, One of the girls also genuinely believed that she had been speaking to Lord Voldemort and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Prosecution was suspended until their mental conditions improved. And when they did, the trial began. They were found competent. And due to the grievous nature of their crime, they were tried as adults, even though they were 12. Which honestly seems absurd to me. Uh, What they did was disgusting and horrifying, but it was also highly sensationalized in the media. These are mentally ill 12-year-old girls we're talking about here. Uh, a lot of parents were blaming Slenderman or Creepypastas or just the internet for corrupting their kids. Just about anything to avoid accountability for a mental health system that has repeatedly failed our youth. And parents refused to believe mental illness could happen to their kids. At the end of the day, there was no monster in the mist. There is no Slenderman, just neglect. And I would know to this day, my parents still don't believe I have depression. They still don't believe I have a mental illness. Uh, They think that I was just faking it to get out of my mission. These girls were sentenced to 65 years in prison. Yeah, I think if you're at the point of being so detached from reality that it's not just Slenderman, but all these other things. There's probably been some other things going on that, like, maybe the school could have noticed. Maybe her parents could have noticed. Maybe someone, you know, could have done something. But, yeah, I don't know how... um, I don't know that you could truly consider them competent in that state. Like, if they are so mentally ill and having such a reaction to that and, like, basically a flare-up or, like, a cycle of that... I don't know that you could say that they were competent at the time of the attempted murder. Like, I, that feels a little icky to me. I don't really know what the fuck we do. Like, I I think that maybe I stay away from a lot of this because what do, what do, what do we do about this? Yeah, well, what do uh, we do about this? I tell you what we did do about it, and that is incite a moral panic. Uh, another about another moral yeah. panic. Yeah. Uh, It was like a diet version of the satanic panic. And I remember this like very vividly. And I remember being very mad about this at Mm -hmm. the time because I was like, 
Mm, and I'm going to explain why. I mean, I wrote it in the script. Uh, mental health crisis in youth were routinely blamed on Slender Man and creepypastas. After uh, hearing of the sensationalized stabbing, one woman claimed her 13-year-old daughter attacked her with a knife, believing uh, the macabre fan fiction she wrote online was to blame. Some of that fan fiction featured Slender Man. Likely, it was another case of neglected mental illness. There yeah. was also a rash of youth suicides that were blamed on Slender Man and a house fire that was allegedly started by a 14-year-old who had been reading Slender Man fiction online. For some reason, it's easier to believe that a skinny ghost boogeyman in a suit is manipulating the youth rather than recognize mental health crises in a world that's on fire. Just like the changeling stories before him is just a repeat of, um, you know, uh, the wife of Michael Cleary uh, and the changeling just I with Slender Man. I think so. This kind of goes back to the whole COVID thing, because I've been thinking, I mean, obviously, we've all been thinking a lot about COVID. But my thing with COVID that's really hard that I think I figured out how to voice, which is like people who don't think that COVID is real. um, or they think that it's, like, engineered by, I don't know, Democrats to punish Trump or something. Or, like, orchestrated by the world governments because they're just trying to take control over us and we're giving into the devil if we wear masks, you know. People who think that, um, I think, have – like, COVID is terrifying, right? I mean, like, that was – It's scary and it's invisible. It's really scary. And it's scary to hear the stories that we've heard. It's scary to see how many people are gone. It's scary to look at the world that we have. It's scary – I mean, for me, my entire life completely and totally changed. Like, I will never go back to the life that I had before COVID. That's fucking terrifying. Like, to try to quantify that and understand that is almost impossible. And so I think that um, mental health – I mean, mental health is the same way. When you look at people and you can't can't say, oh, you have a fever. Oh, you need to be on antibiotics. When you have mental health medications that you play fucking musical medications with, that you're just putting people on over and over again and hoping something doesn't make someone worse and hoping that they don't pull a knife on you, which is something that one of my roommates in college did to her mom because she was so severely mentally ill and neglected and on the wrong medications and people didn't know. And I think that when we look at these things, when we talk about mental illness, when we talk about these bigger things, it's not... It's I think people are not resilient enough to really cope and that our world has not taught people how to cope with the things around us that we cannot control. And they are too big and too scary. So we want to attribute it to things like the alien overlord government trying to control us and Slender Man instead of us as a society being like, wow, this is really fucking scary. How do we support each other through this? Which is what we're needing to do with all of these things. But that's my theory is that when people are like on these huge conspiracy theorist things and they're like, it's the government. And it's like, you really think that it was easier for like an entire alien race to coordinate like a, an attack on every single world government and nation in, in, in everywhere in the entire world than it was to believe that there's a virus that popped up because that's what viruses do because diseases have killed people and beings longer than anything else has diseases humanity's oldest enemy that's and how can you just like think nope impossible to have a disease must be aliens like that's wild to me 
Yeah. It's wild. My parents are 100% on the train. They're like, oh, this was a, a biowarfare attack from China or Russia. And I'm like, but they suffered from this severely yeah, as well. That's the thing Their that economies were also severe. They literally it was everyone they in attacked the world. themselves to attack us and do equal damage to or, both sides. Or a highly infectious disease like swept through the world because it had an opportunity to do so. Yeah. And, and um, the human system and everything was just really susceptible and weak. And, and, and that is a trend that happens over and over again in history. Like one of my favorite YouTube channels is Crash Course because uh, I like John Green explaining history to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, every time there's like a disease thing in Crash Course, he's like, yep, we're talking about it again. Disease. And now that we're in 2020 and looking back, it's like, yeah, disease, 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 well, it's, it's disease, disease, disease. Because that's, that's the thing, like Giardia. And I mean, I just all of these things, it's like. I don't even know if it's like a lack of accountability and people being unwilling to like look at these things so much as like an inability to cope with the reality of things. I really think that's what it is. And I obviously part of that is accountability. But I think the larger thing there is that like we're not fucking prepared to deal with these huge traumatic events. And the only things that people that did that came before us was like, well, that happened. (laughs) Like, you know, and we're now like really recently since the 1960s, we just barely got mental health medication just to even start talking about antidepressants. And we're so new at this thing that like people have just been like, well, I guess if you're too weird to have a job, you're going to live in the woods or die. You're going to be a guilt. Yeah. And that's like, that's the thing that we as a society are like, oh, hey, this is really fucked up. Like there's a way like there are things that we could actively be doing to help people. And also the acknowledgement that like pretty much everyone's neurodivergent in some way, shape, or form, or they're going to have moments where you suffer from depression or anxiety because of life things, and that's a natural response. But, like, blaming it on Slender Man, blaming it on Creepypasta, I think is just the inability to really face the fact that, like, we're severely fucked, and at some point, some of us are going to have to start making yeah, changes. And, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that they have, like – all these excuses and that what they did was not horrific. What they did was absolutely I know, horrific. For, like, I I can't even but, imagine being in the space that you devalue a human life so much, but that says you're so detached from reality. But the response to it, like there was so bad. You, you could have had a compassionate response to this and like, tried make, to take care of them. But instead we had this weird, like moral panic. Um, yeah. Anyway. That was, that was, that was a, that was a, uh, an aside for real. Yeah. Uh, all of this real life awfulness surrounding Slender Man, like in the media and this moral panic, kind of spoiled the stories. Uh, teens and young adults were afraid of contributing to the lore because they were afraid of the panic surrounding it. Of course, that wouldn't be the end of mass internet folklore. Enter the SCP Foundation, originally launched in 2008 as a series of creepypastas and collaborative fictions. The project saw a resurgence after the Slenderman panic and is most, it's, it's right now the most popular collaborative fiction and folklore project today. Uh, SCP stands for uh, Special Containment Procedures, and the SCP Foundation is responsible for containing paranormal or otherworldly phenomena. So they're kind of like the men in black, but they're more bureaucratic about it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Many SCPs are alternate universes, and others are specific creatures or haunted objects. The SCP Foundations study these and make sure they don't do any harm to the public. So it is like, like the men in black, but more like the movies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, There are over 4,000 stories involving the SCP Foundation collectively online and over 6,000 articles for SCP-related objects online. That is 10,000, like, unique pieces of writing surrounding this universe. Hmm. 
That's a lot. Yeah. That's, I mean, think about how many issues there are of like a comic book run of Superman. Does it does it reach 10,000 before they have to restart and do another run of Superman? I don't know. Yeah, uh, no I, I haven't counted. Um, <laughs> if, if you know, I guess, uh, message us on Patreon. Uh, there have been board games based on the SCP Foundation and spin-off video games. It's highly influential in sci-fi today. And one of my favorite video games of 2020, it's called Control, was highly influenced by SCP stories. It's that game is like so surreal. Like you're inside a corporate office for an they're called the bureau and they're these like paranormal investigator bureaucrats and something has happened that has corrupted everybody inside the corporate office and it's on like paranormal lockdown. So like the walls will like shift and contort and like it's such a mind trip but it's so good. Hmm. And you have to like deal with like haunted objects and stuff. Like there's like a uh, a camera that like teleports you places like it's it's cool i like yeah, the game a lot and the writing cool. was re- really good uh there are also like more games best based like directly on the scp foundation one mm-hmm. is called scp containment breach and another one scp secret laboratory and there have also been some custom vr games that take place inside the scp foundation so what are these stories even like and I love them because they're okay. so surreal. Uh, and they they also, like, you can tell they're really influenced by, like, today. Like, they they really feel like today's folklore, you know? Mm. And it's not like Slender Man where it's all about, like, horror. Some of it is more about, like, uh, psychological thriller stuff, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, objects uh, or alternate dimensions are given a number. For example, SCP-3008 is an alternate universe that is an infinite Ikea. Uh, People find themselves inside SCP-3008 by getting lost in an Ikea and finding themselves in an endless maze of Swedish furniture. Okay. (laughs) There's lost customers who have formed like a primitive society Uh within the Ikea and they have to defend themselves from feral humanoids who appear to be former Ikea employees that have become aggressively violent, especially at night. Uh, I actually did a D&D campaign that took place in SCP-3008. I was a ranger and a druid who could speak to and control fake plants. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's, th- this is a lot more fun than, than Slenderman. It's kind of where people went because of the backlash to Slenderman. Mm. Uh, the SCP Foundation might be uh, the largest collaborative fiction ever created at least in such a short amount of time. It contains more stories than entire mythologies. Anybody who likes spooky or weird stories, go check out the SCP Foundation. You can just Google it and you'll find yourself lost in a rabbit hole of like wiki-generated fiction that everybody is working on together, like tens mm-hmm. of thousands of people, like an endless Ikea of stories. No. Oh. Uh, and AI can do a lot. But hundreds of thousands of geeks continue to go unchallenged in their generative <laughs> power. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the Slenderman nonsense is still happening. It's still evolving. It transformed into something else called the Momo Challenge, which was more focused on the moral panic of things rather than the actual lore. Elle, do you remember the Momo Challenge? I don't think so. It was another way for parents to continue to panic about creepy internet nonsense. Uh, This time, it was a global phenomenon. Okay. The predecessor to Momo was called the Blue Whale Challenge that was in 2016. Do you remember that? Mm -mm. No. While both of them were hoaxes, 
Nothing spreads a legend more like moral panic. Uh, both operated essentially the same way, so I'll just focus on Momo because it's the most recent. And it goes like this. A user named Momo seeks out users on WhatsApp, an anonymous messaging yeah. service, or like Yik Yak. Those yeah, are, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Momo would give the users a time limit to complete specific tasks, each one more extreme than the last. If they didn't complete the task, Momo would threaten to kill them or otherwise blackmail them. Momo would often back up these threats by sending gruesome images. The original hoax was spread by a YouTuber, but it just spread like wildfire. Just like Slenderman, mental health issues regarding the youth were blamed on Momo. In 2018, it was reported that a 12-year-old Indonesian girl committed suicide in connection to the Momo challenge. Though there is little real evidence to support this, it was still reported as if real. Of course. Even though there was no evidence of Momo communicating with anyone, uh, there were some YouTube videos that were pranks intended to kind of like perpetuate this hoax as a fucked up shit post. Uh, often the videos featured people seeking out Momo on WhatsApp. The panic got so bad that Kim Kardashian made a public call to YouTube to ban all Momo videos. <laughs> Law enforcement agencies created several PSAs warning parents of the dangers of the Momo challenge. Of course, all of this continues to fuel the moral panic surrounding the internet, allowing the police and parents to enforce greater restrictions and authoritarianism over the youth, while ignoring the real problem of childhood mental illness. Yeah. And now, L. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for more Cybermancy divination. Yeah? Uh, yep. This is a special collab with the uh, Spooky Science Sisters podcast. We're doing divination for them using a special AI, the Library of Babel. It's based on a mind-melting story by Borges. In the story, there is a library which contains every possible combination of the 23 letters of the bal- alphabet and every possible combination of words. So everything that has been written, everything that has happened, everything that will be written, and everything that will happen or might happen is recorded in the Library of Babel, a record of everything just waiting to be discovered. And of course, someone read this story and was like, I'm going to make an AI that can do this. (laughs) So naturally, people are using it for divination. And this is pretty recent. Like, this came out in 2019. Yeah. So this is a pretty recent, like, cybermancy thing. L, are you ready to dive into the Library of Babel? I don't know if one can ever be ready, but I'm as ready as I'm going to be. Okay. Uh, let's give you a minute to set up your laptop so you can pull up the library, and then I'll tell you uh, who the reading is for and what they want to know. Cool. So the Spooky Science Sisters podcast is uh, really cool. Um, I've interacted with them a lot on TikTok. Um, they gave us a shout out uh, for their Bloody Mary episode um, as a reference to our Catoptromancy episode where I explain kind of the science of staring into a dark mirror and what happens in your brain. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're really cool. Um, so this reading is uh, going to be for Paige, who is part of the podcast. Uh, she says she needs psychic in, in psychic intervention uh, for her house hunt with the current housing market. She's in the Midwest, Wisconsin. The other host lives in Chicago. Um, I love Chicago. I RJ told me that. And I was like, <gasps> I love Chicago. Yeah, but this is this is for Paige, who is um, their uh, host that lives in Wisconsin. They're trying to find a house, a housing markets. 
bonkers. It's bonkers in Salt Lake, and I'm sure it's bonkers yeah. in Wisconsin. Uh, so uh, the question, as it's written, is what can you tell us about Paige's search, uh, home search, and her prospects for buying a house this year? Cool. Okay, so um, I was playing around with the Library of Babel, of Babel before we started recording, and I just typed in... Um, so I guess to kind of explain it, we'll have to post. We'll do have to do a photo dump to explain this. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I can do my best because I've I've messed around with it a lot in prep for this episode. So the the AI, it's really hard for it to have existing uh, all at once, constantly generating every combination of the alphabet because that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, the AI can generate basically every combination like it has the potential to generate every combination it'll just have to wipe uh old searches at some point because there's enough server space that mm-hmm. exists yet uh so uh you can search the library of babel it can find the random uh it'll like generate random texts that will have a word you search for in it uh and everything else will just also be random accumulations of letters around it, sometimes forming words. You can also find randomly generated uh, combinations of English words mm-hmm. in there. And most people, when they do divination on the Library of Babel, they go for the English words. Uh, so, And then they look at the words that are around the word that mm-hmm. you're searching for. And it highlights the one that you searched for. And it's literally just random words in a block in front of you yeah uh, and the random words around the word that you were looking for will help inform uh your divination like about the future things like the distance from you know the word uh for example can have specific kinds of meaning or however you choose to do it it's brand new so there's not a lot of like magical language about it yet yeah so we're gonna do it now we're gonna do it um, yeah, I'm going to try, how do I take a screenshot on my computer? Sorry, I wanted to like screenshot the words so y'all can see what's going on. Okay, so um, I was typing things in just to kind of see how this would work before we started recording. And um, it has a little thing where you can just insert whatever you want, or like you just type in something. So I just typed in house. Um, and the it's, so the first three collections of letters are s splotchy bourgeoisieifications oh my god <laughs> so that if i keep looking intangibleness um storeship dudes um dudes dudes um carpet monger over insistent subsidiaries formulized subsidiaries subsidiaries formulized economize okay which is all three together all three together interesting yeah so that's a really interesting kind of oh okay amphibolic subsidiaries formulized economize um Rebaptized Jujinites. So then we, we got we some words ended there. Amphibolic, ancient Greek, is used to describe a biochemical pathway that involves catabolism and animalism. Mm. 
Okay, that's really interesting. So, like, the formalized economize, like, that together and sub, sub, subsidies is really interesting because that tells me that there's probably different parts. Well, um... Bourgeoisieification is uh, pretty clear about the housing crisis. Yeah, happening. well, that's really interesting because it's like, how do we formulate the economy, right? It's kind of what it's saying is like, how do we subsidize the economy that we've formulated? So that's kind of an interesting, um, and this is just literally, I searched it. This is what came up. I literally left it on the same web page so I would have it because it was just really strange how it was written. Um Oh, this is the other word. Inhospitableness. Inhospitableness. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's turning out good for you, Paige. I, it, well, at least on this page, and I'm going to do like another search and kind of look for it. Oh, then underneath inho- inhospitableness is uncommercialized, uh, multivariable. So it feels like, I mean, a lot of these are like gobbledygook words, but um, they're kind of like, it's interesting that it's kind of talking about like, it's going to be really difficult to do it the way that they formulated the economy. So you want to be looking at other things like subsidized housing, maybe, or looking at uncommercialized. So maybe going like home to home instead of looking for something that's been listed is going to be better. Um, re- reparability? Reparability? No, reparability. Oh. R-E-P-A-R-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y. Reparability. Possible to repair. Okay. So it is repairability. So it's repairable, though. So maybe look for a fixer-upper. or You know what? You know what I think? I'm not the psychic here, so I'm probably wrong, but squatter's rights. Get to squat and page. <laughs> Just go find somewhere. Squat somewhere. Squat Move in. Form, in. form an anarchist house and squat. I, it's kind of interesting. I'm going to type it in again and see, like, what else I can get. But it is really interesting that it's, like, you're, whatever you're doing that's going to be, like, um, institutionalized, the way that they want you to do it, all of that's not going to work for you. So you need to look for alternate means to be successful in that. Um, let's see. Got to be scrappy. What What are you typing? Uh, oh, it it will not. Yeah, I think there's a limit to how many. It won't let me do um, numbers. House hunting, Wisconsin, is what I've typed in. Okay. Um, random characters, random English words. Random English words is probably the one you want. Do you want more random English matches or just the? You can click on that one, and if there isn't a lot generated there, then you can click on more. Non-land owner. Non-land owner is one of the words that came yeah. up. Uh huh. It's the, so the, it's the fourth set of letters that are squished together that is non-landowner. Oh, man. Periodic. But non-landowner would be a townhouse. We have a townhouse. We don't own the land. Yeah. We just have the building. I suppose. You know, mail coach. Mail coach. Maybe a condo? Mediator? I would honestly, like a condo, a townhouse, something like that, goblins, photonuclear goblins. Photonuclear <laughs> goblins. So look out for those. Oh, my God. Amazing. I'm going to go ahead and uh, screenshot this one. <laughs> because that's hilarious to me. Oh, oh, no. 
mistakes have been made. Uh, so on the Spooky Science Sisters podcast, they talk about uh, lots of like interesting things with history and science, like volcanic eruptions and stuff. Uh, so uh, maybe they'll have an episode about photonuclear goblins at some point. Could be misreporting execution. Execution. Misreporting uh, execution. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Paige, but these sound as bad as the housing crisis is. <laughs> It does. I mean, so I would say that it doesn't it doesn't sound I mean, it just sounds like a lot of like post-capitalistic yeah. scariness. But I would say like, um, oh, another one I just another word is townscape. So like looking inside of a town versus a city, um, looking non-landowner just feels super significant to me. That's a really interesting kind of um, I don't know a way to say it. Makeshift. Is another word in here. So it's like a house a picker up, like a fixer upper. Um, yeah, fixer upper is what I would say. This is wild. Like everyone should just go to this website and just type some stuff in and just see what, <laughs> what it bounces it, it is. At. It is a mind melter for sure. Um. Okay. So I want to try again. Uh, what are you gonna type in this time? Maybe type in uh, Paige New Home. Let's see if one that has her name is there. Paige might be listening to this like, don't put my name to the spooky computer. <laughs> it's too late, Paige. It's there. Random it's English a, words. P-A-I-G. Globalization. Globalization. Pandas. Pandas. That's Pandas are good. Baddish, dappled, newswoman, decapitations, congresswoman, conscript, pandas. Okay. Is... Myotic universality and universality and electees. Okay. These are bizarre. And I, hold on. This, you know what this sounds like? This sounds like a character from Alice in Wonderland is just word vomiting onto you. <laughs> Goody's Dumbed Hot House. <laughs> there it is. Goody's Dumbed Hot House. That's there you your go. house. It's the Goody's Dumbed Hot House. Um, oh, postpartum. That's an interesting word to have there. Hmm. So um, in like if you're talking about dreams, postpartum or like having being pregnant in dreams would be like giving birth to new ideas or having new things come into the world. So it feels like this is going to be part of kind of a, a new phase for you. This is like a new house for a new time in your life. And it's going to be really related to after you kind of give birth in quotes to whatever you're working on right now. So it might seem that like right now, right this second might not be the best time to be house hunting, but I feel like three months from now, things feel a lot better. Also during the winter time, the um, houses are cheaper. Um, yeah, I would say something non-traditional. I would say something that's a fixer upper. I would say something that's a townhouse or a condo, something where you don't own the land directly, but it's not, it doesn't feel like an, an issue. Um, Tent makers proliferate sonatizing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I actually think that it'll be fine, but it's just kind of acknowledging the uh, the existential dread and horror that is the housing market right now. Um, pre-loved megabytes, darlings. 
pre-loved megabytes. Yeah. <laughs> that that sounds like some fucking cyberpunk 2077 like shady <laughs> shady drug deal. It really does. Let's see. Okay. I had to screenshot that but yeah i would say it's definitely possible to get a home i feel like not necessarily a house not necessarily something traditional is going to be the thing but yeah yeah and i feel like i'm taking a break right now and waiting a couple months is going to be the move there too hmm. that's what i would say weird well Paige, i hope this was helpful for you uh for your house hunting um, so I'm going to, I'm going to talk about their, their podcast a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let's give them a uh, shout out. Just like give, you know, uh, a, a little background, uh, about them. I'm just going to read their blurb on, uh, Apple podcasts. The hosts of Spooky Science Sisters are Paige Miller and Megan, uh, Ankney. And uh, their podcast is actually very similar to our podcast. Well, I'm more of a humanities guy. They're actual like, scientists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're two sisters-in-law uh, bringing you a podcast about the possible scientific explanations behind all things strange and unusual, from hauntings to extraterrestrials to demonic possession. So put on your debunking caps and join us every other week for some creepy conversation and lots of laughter. Uh, so that's that's what their show is about. Uh, check them out. Uh, they got five stars on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, interacting with them online through TikTok. While our podcast is focused mostly on things like history, anthropology, and the humanities, like literature and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, at, with magic as a like traditional cultural phenomenon, uh, they focus on. Uh, spookiness and the paranormal as scientific phenomenon, which it's it's cool. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's probably a lot of intersection between our podcasts. So maybe we'll do uh, more readings for them in the future. And maybe they'll have some spooky things to say about the things yeah. we talked about, like Rocco's Basilisk. Spooky. Yeah, because it is uh, computer science is some spooky science is what I it freaking is. learned yeah. researching this shit. Um. But hit us up on Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Podcast, And Elle will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. If you liked my writing, you can pick up books at rjwalkerpoet.com. If you want to get a reading from me, you can find me on Etsy at Laurels of Lux. You can also find me on laurelsoflux.com as well as laurelsoflux at gmail.com. Yeah, hit me up. Let me know if I can help with anything. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Folker, Arthi Vinke, Miyu, and Scott Buckley.